Well, again, good morning, First Baptist. I, uh, I quickly learned, I was in my 20s, that working with junior high boys can be dangerous work. Uh, for several summers, I worked as a camp counselor at a camp back in West Virginia called Camp Cowan. Yes, Cowan. Ironically, same, similar last name, spelled a little bit differently. But I remember my very first summer, I was going to be a counselor at Camp Cowan. And I was a little nervous about it. I was paired up with another guy that had one year more experience than me. So I knew that first night was going to be important to sort of set the right tone for the week. You know, you kind of had to let them know that you were in charge, but you also wanted to know them to know that you were sort of fun, and you wanted to strike that right balance. So I'd been working on the speech that I was going to give the kids that first night. And we get there, and as I was about to start talking, the guy that I was going to be counseling with, he spoke up first. And he gave a speech that was not quite like the speech that I was going to be giving. And he didn't say anything about how we were sort of in charge. He didn't really say anything about how it was important that they follow our direction and instruction. What he communicated to them was that we were just there to be their friends. Well, that week went awful. These kids kept us up all night. They were, they were in each other's stuff all the time. They were not eating the way we had wanted them to eat. I'll never forget watching this one kid eating. Do you remember these things called nerd ropes? These little, like, candies that were stuck to this long gummy thing. I remember watching a kid eat a nerd rope, washing it down with Pepsi. Just to sort of let you know what kind of energy levels we were dealing with. But through that week, one thing became very evident to me, that where there's no discipline, bad things are going to follow. And that's true in other areas as well. What would you think of a coach that would tell his players or her players how to play but never ran through them through any drills or instruction? Or imagine a math teacher that would give her students tests that would never mark anything wrong. Or imagine a doctor that was always encouraging good health, but never did anything to help fix that cancer someone had just been diagnosed with. Well, see, you would say that they were only doing about half of their job. They weren't doing it the way they should be doing it because athletic training requires instruction and drilling. And teaching requires both instruction and correction. And being a doctor requires both encouraging good health and fighting disease. Then there's another arena in which discipline is essential. And it's in the arena of the church. It's a vital, uh, as a matter of fact, church discipline is vital as being an authentic mark of the church itself. And the reason I'm bringing this up is because there's a prerequisite to church discipline, and that's church membership. See, before we can hold someone accountable for their actions, we have to know that they believe what we believe. Before we can hold someone accountable to the Word of God, they have to have agreed that they hold the Word of God as the standard by which we judge our actions by. Now, some of you may be thinking, well, look, Chad, I'm a Christian. So what does it really matter if I'm a member of a church or not? 
And some of you may be thinking, well, I don't even know if this is really biblical. And then it could be that you're just very suspicious, uh, suspicious of institutions in general. Um, the upcoming generations have seen some things go very bad among formalized institutions. And I understand there's a lot of reticence and hesitance about becoming a member of something. And then maybe you've been burnt by a church in the past. I get that. I, these things happen. And church membership is kind of a big deal because it is a slightly narrower gate than being a Christian because it's about becoming a member at a particular church. It has a particular set of leaders and a particular set of doctrines. And you may be asking yourself again, well, is this biblical? That was the journey that I went on a few years back when I had to ask myself the question, what do I believe about church membership? And I want to take you along that journey with me this morning. Because I guess the real question that we're boiling this down to is why become a church member at all? Why become a church member? And I want to talk to you this morning about this importance and the why behind becoming the member of a church, specifically here at First Baptist Church. But this is most churches out there have some kind of church membership. And this is going to be the first morning of a brief sermon series I'm going to do, uh, talking about church membership this morning as a matter of church matters. So church membership, and then I'll talk about the role of elders and deacons uh, in a couple of weeks. Next week, Kevin Reiser is going to be speaking on the scariest words ever spoken on earth. After that, we'll go through the church matters series, and then we'll get back to the book of Hebrews. So if you can follow all that, Ultimately, we'll be back in the book of Hebrews very shortly. So, I want to continue on with this topic um, on church matters. I want to give you five reasons, you could call them five implications from the Bible, to become a church member. Five reasons or implications from the scriptures to become a church member. Church membership, and I'll say this at the outset, the scriptures do not explicitly state, thou shalt become the formal member of a local church. Okay? You won't find that anywhere. That's why I'm saying this is implicit. In other words, I believe the scriptures do imply, though, that local church membership is important. And let me, before I go any further, let me just give you a definition. What am I talking about when I'm talking about church membership? This is a good definition, I think. This came from... Uh, Mark Dever's organization called Nine Marks is committed to church health, and they define it this way. Church membership is a formal relationship between a local church and a Christian characterized by the church's affirmation and oversight of a Christian's discipleship and the Christian's submission to living out his or her discipleship in the care of the church. So there's several elements that are present in that definition. First of all, there's a church body that formally affirms an individual's profession of faith and baptism as, as credible. Now, this is something we do here at First Baptist Church. As a matter of fact, in the first service, we introduced uh, some new folks that just, just joined the church. And before they become a member, they sat down for a brief time with some elders to determine, hey, tell us what you believe about Christ. What do you believe to be true about God? 
It was very simple, very straightforward, looking for very sort of easy Sunday school answers. Who do you believe Jesus is? What did he do for you? That's what we mean by affirming someone's faith and affirming that they've been baptized by immersion. It also promises to give oversight to that individual's discipleship. In other words, we have a responsibility at First Baptist Church to be making disciples for Jesus Christ. That first part of our mission statement up on the wall, to know him. It's our responsibility to make sure that people are getting to know God, knowing who he is. So we have responsibility for oversight of everyone's discipleship from cradle to grave here at First Baptist. And then thirdly, the individual formally submits his or her discipleship to the service and authority of this body and its leaders. And it's done by the individual. There's this act of, hey, I'm going to submit my discipleship to the leadership and authority of this church. That doesn't mean you don't take some responsibility for it yourself, but that means you are submitting to a particular set of leaders at a particular church. So that's a definition I want to start with. What do I mean when I'm talking about church membership? And then I'm going to go to these five uh, five reasons or implications from the Bible about why we should become or think about or consider becoming a church member. And first of all, and I alluded to this at the beginning, membership is implied for church discipline. Membership is implied for church discipline. By the way, a church is to discipline its members. I want to go to Matthew chapter 18. You may be familiar with this, Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 17. It's about how to confront someone in sin. It says this, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. So you may have read this passage before, but notice a couple of things here. First of all, the, the sin is not qualified in any way. It just says if your brother sins against you, that can come in any, uh, in any number of shapes. It could, be, uh, it could be a spouse who has not been faithful. It could be someone who's spoken disparagingly about you or someone in your family. But something has been done to you and there's a problem and you need to go and you need to talk to that person about it. And if they don't listen to you, then you take a friend along and the two of you go and you confront that person. But then if it goes on, if there is, is no repentance, if they're unwilling to do anything about it, then you bring this matter in front of the church. The church is to be the final authority in judging these kinds of matters. And I don't want to underemphasize the importance of this subject of church discipline. Uh, because clearly it's something the Lord intends the church to do. And there's a great book written by Al Mohler. It's called The Compromised Church, The Present Evangelical Crisis. Uh, Al Mohler is the president of Southern Theological Seminary. And he says this about church discipline. He says, the decline of church discipline is perhaps the most visible failure of the contemporary church. No longer concerned with maintaining purity of confession or lifestyle, 
the contemporary church sees itself as a voluntary association of autonomous members. Uh, that word autonomous there would just mean uh, people doing just sort of what's right to them with minimal moral accountability to God, much less to each other. And yet without a recovery of functional church discipline firmly established upon the principles revealed in the Bible, the church will continue its slide into moral dissolution and relativism. Again, that word relativism is just doing what is right in your own eyes. Evangelicals have long recognized discipline as an important mark of the authentic church. Authentic biblical discipline is not an elective, but a necessary and integral mark of authentic Christianity. So the church then needs discipline. It needs to be happening because without it, we start looking a lot like the culture. Uh, we start doing things just like the culture would do. And the church is really not distinguished any differently than, than anything else. Uh, but it begs this question, well, who is the church? If we're responsible to judge between people, who are we responsible to judge between? Is it when you have a problem with a person down your street? Is it when you happen to be in an accident with somebody just out on the road? And then secondly, how do you define this group to whom you are going to bring this sensitive issue to? Is it the people that only attend once a year? Um, am I supposed to stand here on a platform on a Sunday morning and announce that we're supposed to treat someone like a tax collector to a crowd that just happens to be here that morning? Um, it, I hope you can see somehow we have to get our arms around who here believes what our church believes, especially if we're going to bring something this sort of intense and personal to the church, who is it that we are bringing it to? Um, it's intensely personal oftentimes. It's not someone that you would bring before who we're not even sure is a Christian or believes in the truth of God's word. So here in this case, it's important we know who we are. Again, we're not here to, do, uh, to perform church discipline on someone at The Rock or someone at Bethesda or someone that's not here at our church. How do we get our, our arms around that? And I want to emphasize, you know, I know a, many of, a good many of you are not, are not members. And you're essential volunteers. You, you do things that have been critical to the life of the church. Uh, believe me, in no way am I questioning anybody's salvation and not being a member. That is not what we're talking about here. Uh, this is something different. Uh, this is formal arrangement we're talking about. But it is implied by the need for church discipline. And then secondly, it's implied for disfellowship. It's implied for disfellowship. And I didn't make up that word, by the way. It does exist. And it's exactly what it sounds like. What do we do in the case when someone needs to be formally removed from the fellowship from here at First Baptist? And this is, Paul talks about this in uh, 1 Corinthians 5, 12, and 13. He's writing this letter to the church. He says, For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. So this is a, it's a strong statement. 
And there's some conditions that he listed in verse 11 that called for this disfellowship. Uh, and there's some who would call this excommunication. I don't like that word, excommunication, because it implies that one loses their salvation if they were disfellowshipped, and I don't believe that's the case at all. I don't believe that's a cause for loss of salvation. Um, but I want to go to verse 11 here because he's challenging the behavior of some. And he makes a clear point to say, look, we're not responsible for judging the behavior of people who have not agreed to believe the same book that we have. If we've established the Bible as the standard by which we live and the authority in all matters, we don't go judging people who don't believe that by the same standard. We judge people inside the church. People outside the church are unsaved. They've not agreed that the Bible is the Word of God. But he lists these conditions in verse 11. Uh, but it says, But now I'm writing to you not to associate it with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. So what do you do in this case when it says there in verse 13, God judges those outside, purge the evil person from among you. So there is a formal removal of this person from the fellowship of the body. And this is what I'm referring to as disfellowship. And well, if there is no formal membership, then how can someone be removed? How do you go about removing someone who said, well, I wasn't really here to, belong, to begin with? And then at what point can I make these kinds of judgments? Is it towards someone who's just visiting? Again, is it towards someone who happens to be in Sheridan for the weekend? Is it towards someone who's only here once or twice a year? How do I determine at what point I start carrying out these kinds of judgments? You know, there's, there's common law marriages. If two people live together for a long time, they'll usually consider them married. But when it comes to membership, there's no like common law membership. You know, if somebody's been here a long time, they're just not automatically church members. So our leadership has to know whether or not someone's sort of in before they can be out. Now, this leads to number three. Uh, thirdly, membership is implied for submission to elders. It's implied for submission to elders. And this comes from Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. It says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls, as those who will have to give an account let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. And these are, again, these are very strong words in regard to this relationship that we're to have with the leadership at our church. And by the way, uh, I wouldn't be asking anybody to do something that I'm not doing myself. Whenever I was ordained down in Dallas, Texas on, at, at Trinity Fellowship Church, one of the points of my ordination was, do you vow to submit to the elders of your church? And I said, yes. And I take that as seriously as I take my wedding vows. If I'm unable to submit to the elders at First Baptist Church, then it would be my job to resign and go somewhere else. 
Now, I praise God that we have a fantastic group of elders here at First Baptist Church. It is, it's a joy to serve with them. And um, it is not an easy job. If you've been an elder or you're currently an elder, you know those meetings go for an hour. And they're laughing because no meeting has ever lasted an hour. It's more like two, three, four, five hours sometimes. 11, 11.30, midnight. Now, I'm weird because I love elder meetings. I love it. I love us working together to work out really important stuff, really important matters, and it's an honor to be selected. And they have to deal with everything. You wouldn't believe the things that have to be dealt with in elder meetings. And it's not just at First Baptist. In every church I've been in, the elders have to deal with a lot of stuff. And it goes on for a long time. But they are the leaders of our church. And I'm another elder as well. And in this passage we have here in Hebrews, we're told what to do. Obey and submit. But why? And we see it here as well. For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. The elders are accountable to God for the work that they're doing right now. Anything that might adversely affect the spiritual lives at First Baptist, the elders are responsible for. Any false teaching that comes in through the cracks, it's their job as overseers to sniff it and snuff it out. That's the job of being an elder. And they're going to give an account to God himself as to how well they love this church. But here again, we have to ask the question, what does this church mean? What people are we actually accountable for? Because it's not the people at Cornerstone, and it's not the people at Bethesda, and it's not the people at The Rock, and it's not the people at the Presbyterian Church. It's the people are at, who are at First Baptist. But somehow you've got to be able to get your arms around, well, who are the people at First Baptist? It's not about having a power trip, by the way. Leadership is service. It's not about gaining control. But leaders need to know who they are responsible for, who they're going to give an account for. So that was number three. And then number four, membership is implied for pastoral care. Membership is implied for pastoral care. And this comes from Acts chapter 20, verse 28. And there it reads, Pay, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. So this is a message that at the time was passed on to the future leaders of what would be the church in Ephesus. And again, this passage begs the question, who is the flock? Because in my job, and I know in, in, in Brad Kremenzik's job, he, he takes care of, of most of the pastoral care here at First Baptist, who is it that we are the overseers of that we have a biblical mandate to care for? Is it the entire town of Sheridan? Well, no. Is it everybody that's in the hospital? Everybody? No. Who is it? Those whom God obtained with his own blood. 
Now, that is not to say, and please hear me very carefully, we will care for as many people as we can possibly care for, member or not. And we will see as many people as we can possibly see, member or not. But there is a group for whom we have a particular responsibility, as it outlines here in Acts chapter 20, 20 uh, verse 28. It's defining this, this flock. So we have to have some way of defining it. And then finally, uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 12, we see this last one. Membership is implied to the body of Christ. This metaphor to describe the church, this body of Christ. If you ever wondered, well, why do we use the word member? Well, it comes from this, this verse in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12. And here you get a picture of this close connectedness. And it says, therefore, just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, through, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. So there's this, this very close connectedness among the people of God. And if you were to cut off part of the body, something bad happens to the body. If you are wondering if you've got any feeling in your pinky, we'll just hit it with a hammer. And all of a sudden, that becomes the most important part of your body. You're feeling it the most. And if someone from among us had to leave or was disfellowshipped because of some sin that they were unwilling to repent of, we should feel it. It hurts all of us. The body knows when there's pain somewhere. And when some part of the body becomes so infected with sin, it has to be surgically removed. And you know, the goal of church discipline, the goal of disfellowshipping, is always, always, always for the purpose of bringing that person back in. If you've ever seen church discipline executed, where someone had to be disfellowshipped and they had to leave. And then if they repent and come back, it's, it's a beautiful thing. I've seen marriages restored. It doesn't always happen, but it does happen. And the purpose of church discipline is to bring that, that, for that person to repent and come back into the body. So there's this implication for membership in this metaphor of the church as the body of Christ. So the scriptures then imply some kind of distinction between members and non-members. Um, there's got to be some way to distinguish between those who are, who are part of the local body and those who are not part of the local body. So then where do we go with this? You know, what, what next? Well, obviously, I'm making a, 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 a push here. Maybe that's too strong of a word, but I have a hope that some of you who are not members will consider of becoming members here at First Baptist Church. And there's a way we do this. I would encourage you on Saturday, February 8th, uh, if you've got an interest in becoming a member here at First Baptist, we offer a membership class. It'll be from 9 a.m. to noon. We provide breakfast and lunch. There's child care provided. And this is a great way to just come and check things out. There's absolutely no obligation to join the church or become a member. But you can come. You can ask whatever questions you want to ask. Uh, you get to know some of the staff a little better, and you get to see what we're all about. Uh, if you want to do that, if you're interested, you can, you can enlist in that by emailing our office at uh, the email address we've got listed there, or you can call us. And also in that newsletter that we send out in your inbox, there'll be a link there. It should be coming up in the next week or two. 
that you can click on and you can enroll in that class there uh, by clicking that link on the newsletter. I hope that you will consider becoming a member here at First Baptist Church. And then I want to close uh, with this image. One of my all-time favorite airplanes is the, the SR-71 Blackbird. Uh, it was built by Lockheed Martin back in the 60s. It was during the Cold War. Nobody knew this plane existed for a long time. And I got to speak with one of the engineers back whenever I was working with the Navy about this, this plane. It could fly at speeds that exceeded three and a half times the speed of sound. It, it was used for the purpose of surveillance and reconnaissance. As a matter of fact, one of the former uh, navigators for this aircraft is, is, attends our church, Ted Ross. And uh, the plane flew at about 75,000 feet, right on the edge of space. I've actually talked to Ted about this, and he said you could look up and see the stars through the cockpit. The planes had over 1,000 missiles shot at it, and it's never been hit. By the time they saw it on the radar and shot a missile at it, it was gone. It was just, it was that fast. But when the plane was sitting on the ground, it would actually leak fluids. It was designed, the plates on the outside were designed so as the plane got really hot, they would expand and they would seal off all the fuel lines so that the plane, they would fuel it up, it would leak the fuel out on the ground, it would get up in the air, they'd have to refuel it whenever the aircraft skin heated up and expanded and the plates would seal off the fuel lines. See, the plane was not designed to operate on the ground. The plane was designed to operate in an extremely hostile environment at a very high altitude, flying at a very high rate of speed. Do you know that God designed the church to operate in a very hostile world? In a world that's been hostile to it ever since its inception. In a culture that's been against it all along. In a culture that crucified him and those disciples that came after him. And yet, he said, the gates of hell itself would not prevail against the church. But you know what? The church has got to be operating as it was designed. That means we need church discipline. And I believe that also necessitates church membership. And it's my hope and prayer that you've seen biblical reasons for church membership today. Uh, and that you'll consider that here at First Baptist. Please pray with me. Almighty God, we thank you for the church. And Lord, we're thankful to be part of it. And God, I want to pray right now for those who are part of your church who are being persecuted. God, the families of those men who were just beheaded in Nigeria... God, that church in Iran that you are growing faster than any other church in the world right now in an extremely hostile environment. And Lord, I pray that you would give us courage to boldly proclaim the faith that you've given us and make you known, Lord, here in Sheridan and throughout the world. And God, I pray that you would work in the hearts of those who are considering becoming members of First Baptist. Lord, we know that it doesn't, that we're not talking about salvation here. But, Lord, I pray that more people would join and help us lead and steer and guide this church that you've given us, that we are a part of. And we ask it all in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.
May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may be with one, that you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In the first service, we did introduce four new members, uh, Dave and Angie Fisher and Bill and Darlene Rapp. Hopefully you'll see them here in the next few Sundays and uh, you'll, you'll reach your hand out and welcome them. Thank you for being here this morning. Have a great new year. You're dismissed. <laughs>